Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is episode 33 of The Milkman of St. Gaffs, a podcast that maybe doesn't even have a genre. We have some new patrons to thank. May Samuel, Department of Lactic Affairs Radio Clerk. Astra, Milkman White Badge. Jeff Twist, Fly Sprayer. Grace Peters, Fly Sprayer. And thank you also to Roberta Leibovitz for buying me a coffee on coffee.com. Thank you so much for your support. The show wouldn't be possible without you. To find out more about Patreon and other ways to support the show, go to howiemilkman.com. Also, feel free to come say hi on Discord. There was a heated discussion over the past few days about various kinds of milk containers, cartons, bottles, and bags, and the significance of different colors of caps for milk bottles. You can find a Discord invite on the website or on my Twitter bio at Howie Milkman. And now for the episode, number 33, Birthday. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gaffs, starring Howie the Milkman. Peckerhead would be the best way to describe the guy, but no, I didn't have anything personal against Mr. Billings. He was just doing his job, I suppose. And yet, he was found dead the next day, and no one was ever charged? I don't think anyone was charged. I'm pretty sure they just concluded that it was a wild animal. We did have all those wolves a few months later, you know. Did you know about those? No. A bunch of wolves started attacking everyone in town. We went into the woods where it was all dark on the edge of the city and flushed them out with guns and brooms. I see. And then a flash of genius crossed my mind. 
You know, that's probably what happened to your old teacher, Professor Florsham. I bet he wandered out of town and the wolves got him. I was pretty pleased with myself for this explanation, but Professor Lammy looked really aghast. You're probably wondering why Professor Lammy was riding along with me in the milk truck today. First of all, it wasn't a real milk truck like on St. Gaff's, but a smaller vehicle that would fit down the narrow lanes you find all over Mingsbite. Listen, Professor, if you want to know what it's really like, why don't you take four bottles and go drop them off at the next stop? Just knock, and when the lady of the house opens up, just give her a pleasant hello and drop the bottles inside the door. I'm really not here for... Oh, I see. Afraid to get your hands dirty like a working man? Oh, all right. So I sat there and watched him get the bottles out of the back. I just eased into the seat and took it easy while the old guy did my work for me. I looked over and he was having some sort of chat with the woman. He was really getting into it. Hey, Professor, you forgot the empties. Empties? She left the empty bottles there on the step. Oh. So he went back to get them. For a brilliant professor, he sure didn't catch on quick. But I forgot. I was going to tell you why he was riding along with me. It's a bit of a long story, and I'll have to go back a couple of weeks to that conversation with Stan. Now, a lot of people are scared of Stan, and there are all kinds of rumors about him. He seemed to be in a lot of places at once. But to me, he just seemed like an industrious guy, and pretty down to earth too, with me at least. I mean, he insisted that I call him Stan instead of Mr... I, I don't even know his last name, come to think of it. But anyways, he really treated me with respect, and he knew how to get the best out of his employees. So, if you remember, I was talking with him, and Stormy was there on the red couch. But then, when it was time to get down to business, Stan rang a bell and someone came in a moment later. Bill, will you take Miss Stormy here for a tour? Just the milk, not the packing plant. Will do, boss. So the two of them left. It seemed an obvious choice to combine the milk processing with the meat packing businesses. We have trains coming in from all over Taulaw full of cattle, and, as you know, this is also our primary research facility. Wow. Wow, indeed. Now, Howie, I know you've been working with Mr. Corwin on St. Gaff's. I'm a different sort of manager. Mr. Corwin thought it best, because of your youth and inexperience, to keep you in the dark about what we were really doing here. I don't believe he ever explained what the thermalizer was, or why it was on St. Gaff's. No, he didn't. I thought so. My philosophy, Howie, is that you'll get the best out of your people if they know what it is they're working for, if they have a clear goal in mind and feel like they're part of something important. That makes a lot of sense, Mr. Stan. Stan is fine. Think of it this way. If you have a milk truck, and you load it up with bottles of milk, fill the gas tank, start the engine, 
but then discover that there's no steering wheel, how many customers are going to get their milk that morning? Geez, none. None, right. It is my firm conviction that the St. Gaff's project failed primarily because you were not apprised of the goal. You had no compass to guide you, and you never felt like you had any stake in the outcome. So what was the thermalizer for, if you don't mind my asking? <laughs> not at all, my boy. I admire your curiosity. Scientists have known for some time that phlogisterion has certain qualities. Qualities that would be very useful given the proper application. About 18 months ago, quite by accident, one of our senior members, Mr. Walker in fact, discovered a sinkhole on the island of St. Gaff's. He knew we were on a lookout for a source of phlogisterion, so we gave him permission to explore, and as luck would have it, he came across exactly what we were looking for, a colony of underground cattle ruled by the creature you know as Mammotha. Finally, we'd found a source of red phlogisterion, and so we sent Mr. Corwin, along with his assistants, and the machine the engineers over at the university had built for us. It proved very difficult to gather enough of the liquid, so our first thought was to breed some of the regular cows on the island with the help of the red substance. But the results were disappointing. Then we attempted to simply gather the liquid directly, despite the risks. This is where, by an amazing stroke of good luck, we discovered that you have a certain affinity for the creatures. Mr. Corwin was under tremendous pressure to get the thermalizer working, and, I believe, he applied that pressure to you. But you also had little success. I don't blame you or Mr. Corwin. It was a difficult project, and he also, as I understand it, had a problem with local subversives. And keeping subversion under control is, of course, one of our primary mandates. In any case, we were just about to close the project down when the incident happened on the island. We gathered as much information as we could and decided to shift the project from red phlogisterion to green. As you may or may not know, phlogisterion comes only in red and green varieties. Functionally, they should both be adequate for our needs if we can find them in sufficient quantities. And that's where you come in. We're going to need you for our research into procuring a steady source of green phlogisterion. But you didn't tell me what the thermalizer actually does, or, or did. He looked at me with a piercing look. You're a sharp one, Howie. I'm really patting myself on the back for bringing you in. This war... It's been dragging on for years, as you know. It's taken a terrible toll on our nation. And without the metal that we need for our industries, we won't be able to continue the fight much longer. Our ungrateful former colony to the north refuses to listen to reason and relinquish control of her mountain mines. I've been to the front lines, Howie. The men in the trenches, the machine guns, the barbed wire, the carnage... A nightmare. You would do anything to help with the war effort, wouldn't you, Howie? Of course. That's what my man told me. He spoke with you just after you lost your finger. Stan, he said, he's one of us. 
You can rely on Howie Coxwell to do the right thing. Well, what if I were to tell you that with the right vaporization technology and enough phlogisterion, we could subdue the enemy very quickly right in their trenches? We wouldn't have to use bombs or fire or bullets, just a gaseous form of phlogisterion that would cause the enemy to cease its activities at once, in a more humane fashion, with minimal carnage. That would be nothing short of a miracle, wouldn't it, Howie? Yes, it would. That was precisely the aim of the electric thermalizer, and it's a real pity that it failed. But now we have a chance to make it right. Working together, I'm confident that we can achieve this. If you succeed, Howie, you'll be a national hero and you will go down in the annals of scientific history, immortalized. I was flabbergasted and didn't really know what to say. Jeez. Jeez indeed, Howie. Now you can understand, I'm sure, why Mr. Corwin didn't want to explain all of this. In the wrong hands, this information could be devastating. If the enemy were to get a hold of you, if they developed the same technology, it would be a catastrophe. Yes, it would. And you can also see why you mustn't ever speak with anyone outside the department about this, including Stormy. Of course, sir, you can count on me. I know how to keep a secret. I'm sure you do, my boy. He went on to explain that the Department of Lactic Affairs had partnered with the University of Mingsbite, and that I'd be working with their guy on the project. You guessed it, Professor Lammy. But Stan also said they didn't want to rush in right away. We had to do this right, and sadly, there was a lot of attention on me from the authorities. So the first week, I was just supposed to get settled and get a handle on my new route. Then I was supposed to report back to the labs Friday after work. But I was allowed to take the rest of the day off. So Stormy came back to the office and Stan got Bill to drive us to our new house in a big black department car. So did you see the milk stuff? The giant vat? Yeah, it was interesting, she said. Stan seems really nice. He does, a real gentleman. Did he explain why you have to go all the way out here instead of working at the nice building downtown? Yes, but it's totally top secret. It's about the war. She didn't seem too interested. Maybe one day we'll get a car like this, she said. Maybe. She was a lot more excited about the house. It was just a simple row house, sort of like my mom's place. It was furnished and we had to open the windows right away because of the stuffiness. And there were a few holes in the walls. It looked like someone got into a fight or something before we moved in. Bill also gave me an advance on my paycheck, and for me at least, it was a lot of money. So we set to work cleaning the place up. Stormy went shopping for food and she tried to figure out how to fix the holes. I went down and reported for duty at the local milk station. Listen, Coxwell, I know who you are and what you're doing here, but as long as you're working for me, you'll show up on time. You'll deliver milk on time, and I don't want any weird crap going on around my station, understood? That was Mr. Dwyer. These milk station bosses were all the same. 
No need to worry about me, Mr. Dwyer. I know what I'm doing. He gave me my route, 500 pints, not too bad, and not too far from my old neighborhood. I knew a couple of people on my route, and they were pretty shocked to see the big town boy who went away to make good, now back as a professional milkman. I was also surprised that on Tuesday, I saw Granard out collecting trash. It was garbage day. He was dumping cans into the back of the garbage truck. Hey Granard! His face darkened when he saw me. What are you doing here? As if you don't know, two shops destroyed, the bank took the rest. He just walked off following the garbage truck. It's the kind of thing that makes you think. One day a successful business owner, the next he's the dustman. The wheel of fortune just keeps spinning around in its funny way, and you never know where it's going to take you. Still, it was nice to see a face from back home. Maybe I'd even invite him to my birthday party. It was coming up pretty soon, next Friday actually, and I was betting Stormy had some surprises in the works. But this Friday, after my rounds, I had to go to the experimental labs. Bill told me that I could actually take the tube most of the way. They'd built some new stations out that direction since I'd been gone, I suppose. On the train, I kept looking around at everyone. Middle-aged guys and women on their way here and there, thinking their own thoughts without a care in the world about their fellow man, and not one of them had any idea about the seriousness of what this lone milkman was up to, hurtling through the tunnel on a mission to save the nation. At the experimental lab, a man in a suit met me inside the gate. He stuck out his hand and I shook it. Mr. Jeffries, in-house counsel for the department. Right this way, please, Mr. Coxwell. That seemed a bit odd, but he escorted me to a little building not far from the quartermaster's hut and the three mounds of earth. He showed me into a little office where a smiling, kindly doctor in white was waiting. I'm Dr. Pilkington. We're just going to be doing a few tests today. Nothing to worry about. I was pretty nervous. I'd been wondering all week when the other shoe was going to drop. Stan spoke nicely about all the things we were going to do, but then he never actually mentioned what I was going to be doing to find the phlogisterian. And now I was here in this white tiled room with a lot of shining steel instruments. Some looked familiar from Dr. Barrett's place but some I didn't recognize at all. First, the doctor shone a flashlight in my eyes. Then, he looked in my ear. He hit my knee with a hammer. This wasn't so bad. But then he took out a big syringe and a number of little bottles. I started to sweat. The lawyer was writing notes and smiling, but he didn't say anything. This won't hurt a bit. The doctor drew a bunch of blood. I'd never had a needle before, and even though it didn't really bother me, I felt a bit faint when I stood up. Oh, 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 just have a seat there, son, hold on. And he produced, from one of the drawers, a sucker. While I sucked it, the doctor looked over at the lawyer. So far, so good? Mm-hmm. They did a few more normal-seeming tests, and I was on my way and feeling pretty good. That wasn't so bad at all.
The weekend was my first taste of urban domestic bliss. Stormy wanted to get some new glasses for the house, so we walked downtown and poked around the shops. We got fish sandwiches at one of the big department stores downtown. I felt pretty old and responsible watching the shop girl wrap the new glasses up in paper and handing them to me. This, I thought to myself, is what life is all about. Stormy seemed calmer than she'd been for a long time, which was a relief. Then, Monday morning, bright and early, I showed up for work and Professor Lammy was there just like Stan said he would be. Professor, have any good steaks lately? Oh yes, stews back on the island. Those were good, weren't they? They sure were. You okay, Professor? He was yawning every five seconds. I guess he wasn't used to getting up at four or whenever he had to get up to make it over here on time. He hopped into the milk truck and off we went. The first couple of days, he asked me a few questions, but nothing too pointed. He explained that he did research on phrenology and psychology, which is the study of the soul, but now no one believes in the soul really, so it's just about figuring out the brain. In particular, he wanted to understand my brain. As the week went on though, he started getting more pointed with his questions. And Friday, like I also said before, was my birthday. I dropped a few hints and couldn't wait to see what was waiting for me at home. But when we got to talking about Professor Lammy's old mentor, Professor Florsham, things started getting pretty uncomfortable. But forgive me, getting back to Professor Florsham, you mentioned that he might have wandered off and run into some wolves? Hold on, Professor. I went and delivered some milk, wondering what he was getting at. Again, back to Professor Florsham, and I don't mean to contradict you, Howie, but I did actually have a chance to speak with Mr. Corwin and Mr. Frank. Oh, just Frank? I see. Well, they mentioned something about you suspecting he was a subversive, and, well, they did mention that you gave him a certain concoction? Oh, <laughs> sorry, Professor, I didn't know they told you. We milkmen have certain secrets we can't tell any non-milkmen. I see. Well, yes. I have been fully briefed on everything, so feel free to tell me the truth. This is about scientific inquiry, not moral judgment. The success of the project relies on me getting a clear picture of your psyche. Right, well, it sounds like you already know everything there is to know. Not everything, Howie. For instance, can you tell me how you felt just before administering the liquid? Before, well before you killed him. I didn't kill him. No? No, I sort of tripped and Frank and Beaver had to help. I see. So you don't think you killed him? No. But you were about to. Yes, I think so. Mr. Corwin told me to. Hmm. And again, how did it feel just before? Hmm. Let me think. I was... scared? Did it feel at all the way you feel before you have your spells? I don't know what you're talking about. Why would you ask me something like that? Okay, maybe that's enough for today. Yeah, I think so. And I went to deliver a few more bottles. We were getting behind on the schedule. 
I sat back down beside the guy. Really, why do you want to know this stuff? Stan told me to be frank with you, Howie, so I'll be frank. Your mind is unique. You must have noticed that you don't think the same way others do. It's true, Professor. I always felt like I was different, separate. Exactly. I have a theory I'd like to explore, that there may be some connection between your normative orientation, let's say, and your other abilities. That makes a lot of sense, Professor. I'm glad, Howie. After all, you know the old myths about the origins of the red and green essences, the old Manichaean belief that the universe was created through a battle between good and evil, and the Earth is some sort of imperfect outcropping that emerged through this strife. The red essence was pure evil, and the green pure goodness. Of course, no one believes that anymore, but there's still a lot we don't know about phlogisterion. We know, for example, that the universe has a certain mass, but we can't account for it all. Some believe there's a parallel realm, the source of the phlogisterion, and that accounts for the extra mass. Right. We were just about done for the day anyways, and he turned to me. Listen, Howie, I forgot to mention, I'd like you to come out for a dinner with me tonight. A number of professors will be there. I think you'll find it quite interesting. And bring Stormy as well. Oh, I'd love to, but I can't. You see, I have dinner plans with Stormy. You know you're required to show up at the labs on Fridays after work. I thought it wouldn't take that long and I'd be home for... I'm afraid not, Howie. I've asked Stan for an exemption for tonight. I'll give you the address. And how about wearing your uniform? Eight o'clock will be perfect. Okay, fine. I guess we'll have the little party first. Listen, can you just hang on a minute? I have to go do something. All right, Howie. We were on the way back to the station, and I pulled over and parked the vehicle. We were just a couple of blocks from my mother's house, and I wanted to pop in. It was my birthday, after all. We'd had our differences, but I'm sure she didn't want to miss seeing her boy on his 19th birthday. I walked over. The street was quiet. I knocked, but then I noticed the door was already open a crack, so I walked in. Mom? There was no answer. The back window was open, and the curtain was blowing in the breeze. It was cool in the house, and there was a weird, empty feeling. It didn't stink like smoke as much as it used to. Mom? I went upstairs. The bed wasn't made. I started to get nervous. I went back down. I looked in the fridge, almost empty. There wasn't much in the cupboards. Was she gone? I just sat down at the table where I used to sit every morning for breakfast. There was a calendar on the wall with a sickly sweet picture of a mill and a creek. It was on the wrong page, a few months off. I remembered my last birthday, sitting right here. It didn't go well, and I noticed. When I was just a kid, I don't think my birthdays went well either, but I don't think I noticed. But now, I was a man, and everything looked different. Maybe my mom got paid by someone for what she said about me, and now she's moved away. Or maybe something terrible happened to her. 
Maybe she moved away because she couldn't bear to face the fact that she got me in trouble with the law again, and now I'd be in a trial. Maybe the milkman got her so there wouldn't be a trial. I was just staring at the calendar. Maybe my mom didn't need to know the date anymore. It was weird being here alone. I don't remember ever having the whole house to myself. It occurred to me that I could stand up and spin around and yell and do anything I wanted now that they were gone, but I didn't. I just sat there. That mill and that creek really bothered me. I got up and tore the calendar off the wall. It made a thin, stupid sound and I thought I was being childish to do something like that. I punched a hole in the wall. It hurt like hell, but I refused to yelp. I thought I might sink into a spell, but the ground here was firm and hard and real as any ground I'd ever stood on. But something was really bubbling up inside. And then, just like that, my mother walked in the door with a paper bag of groceries. Howie, you scared me nearly to death. You accused me to the police? Oh, Howie, they pushed me into it, those newspaper men. You think I did it? All of a sudden, an old familiar feeling came over me, but the ground stayed still. I didn't know. If you'd been here, we could have talked about it, but you just disappeared. What was I supposed to think? Oh my god, what happened to the wall? I just walked out the door. There was nothing going through my mind at all. I went back to Professor Lammy, who now was standing on the sidewalk looking at his pocket watch impatiently, but I really didn't care. Howie, where have you been? I hopped in the milk truck. I was just telling my mom it's my birthday. Your birthday? Oh, I didn't know. We drove back to the station, not saying a word. That night we got dressed up, or Stormy did anyways, and made our way to Winterville, the neighborhood where the University of Mingsbite was, and where this professor lived, Professor Manstone. Anyways, Stormy and I ended up getting in a terrible fight. I don't really feel like talking about it right now, maybe another time. I just walked out, not knowing where I was going. This was supposed to be my goddamned birthday. Stormy hadn't said a word. I should have been surrounded by friends and family and everyone was supposed to be nice to me, at least for this one day. Instead I had assholes making fun of me to my face, thinking I didn't notice. My girlfriend telling me I was the one who wasn't making any sense. It felt like it was time for me to assert myself. This was my day and now it was time for me to be in charge of my own life. I decided to march right into the first pub I saw, the Grafton Street Pub, even though this wasn't even Grafton Street. I sat down. It was a father's duty to buy his son his first beer on his birthday, but my goddamn father wasn't even here, so I had to be my own dad and buy myself my own goddamn first beer. Stout? What? You want a stout? Bring me a beer. And just like that, the bartender filled a glass with brown liquid and demanded that I pay him. I took a sip. Bubbles. Bitter. I liked it. I didn't feel drunk yet, but it was a big glass. A guy was sitting next to me with long hair, and he was hunched over like he'd been carrying boulders around all day. I can see you're having a rough day, boy. You got those wild eyes, the fire of youth, 
I tell you, I've been in the can five years and I just got out six weeks past. And I tell you, life ain't much different than the clink. First, you can't believe you're in there. Then you just find some way to get through it without too much trouble until it's time to go. And that's just about all there is to it. That and looking over the ladies, am I right? And he bumped his nearly empty glass against my shoulder and smiled. A woman did just walk by, but it turned out that she was the singer and guitar player for the bar. Dark hair like Stormy's. She walked up on the stage and got her guitar ready. Something, ain't she? And then she sang a song, my birthday song. beer? Sure. Something about the song really got to me. It's like the singer was singing right to me. As I drank, I fell into that singer's eyes and swirled into a haze of memories and hopes, and I swayed by myself like the whole bar was swaying with me. Hey, get back here. Back here. All right. Get him out of here. Get out. Then... There was some sort of argument with the bartender, and I was out trying to focus on the sidewalk. The song kept going, and I think it was me singing it. Did I say that out loud? Did I say that out loud? And now they're looking at me. Somehow in the haze, I thought if I just walked along a big street long enough, I'd find a tube station and figure out how to get back to Tootingham Station. I think I walked a long time. It was exhausting. I was wrapped up in some thoughts I couldn't really pinpoint mumbling away and I didn't notice that I wasn't on a big street anymore. Then there was a cemetery on the side. Then it was a different neighborhood and I still didn't know where I was going. And I thought I was working now and earning a paycheck I could always take a cab back. Until I felt in my milkman's pockets and there was no money there. And the ground beneath me got a bit more steady and I remembered. The bartender was mad because I couldn't pay for pint number four, and I was shouting about the milkmen and how I was going to win the war all by myself, and I was escorted outside. As soon as I remembered, I tried to forget. Then, out of the blue, it struck me. How the heck was Stormy going to get home? But I didn't know where the heck I was going and ended up on the banks of the broad, majestic Kirsten. And somehow I got up in the current of my thoughts and forgot where I was supposed to go. And I passed by the headlights and laughing of the rich restaurants down by the waterfront. After going by the cackling drunks in the alley and ended up somewhere down on the spit that jutted out into the harbor. And in the back of my mind I told myself that this was the right way even though I knew it wasn't. And I walked all the way out that spit until there weren't any people at all. 
and the few birds weren't making much noise, and there was just the waves, and there was the lighthouse out there at the end of the spit. And I remembered, when I was 12, the time I had my friend James out when my parents didn't know anything about it. We walked all the way out here on our own, pouring out our 12-year-old hopes and fears to each other, and then trying to break into the lighthouse, and running like hell when the alarm went off and hiding in the bushes, thinking the cops were going to be there any moment and worrying what our parents would do to us. And I could already tell that I wasn't going to make it back. I'd have to sleep out here on the rubble they used to make the spit and in the bushes, and I knew I'd be cold. But there was the lighthouse I'd only seen in the day, and it was so lonely in the night. What kind of fool was I to be out here? What kind of idiot was I to walk all the way out here? What the hell was I looking for? Then I looked up and out to sea. I scanned the horizon, thinking this would be a magical moment rescued by the sight of the mysterious whales. But there weren't any of the green flashes I thought I'd see. Just a sickening, embarrassed feeling. I really thought somehow things would turn out differently, but they didn't. No Felena. Stormy wasn't going to show up and help me. I was just going to pass out like a drunk. I slumped down against a broken piece of concrete, looking up at the lighthouse and its turning light, turning like my stomach. So this was my birthday, out here, right now. This was Howie taking control of his own life. The passage from boy to manhood alone and penniless on a heap of cold rubble. The years blinking by, one by one, disappearing around the corner like the spinning lighthouse light. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.